Hi, it's Jill Herman with BU Podcast. I'm so happy you're here with me today. So I have never had an episode this sort of niched down, and I'm really, really excited about it. We have a lot of listeners who are moms, and we have a lot of listeners who are moms of teens or will one day be moms of teens. And this episode is specifically for those people. So Elise Knox is someone I met when I was a student of Elementum Coaching Institute. As I've said on other episodes, if you've listened before, almost everyone in that program was already a really successful coach. And I was coming in really just for my own growth with no intention of becoming a coach, even though I was getting certified. And I was really impressed with Elise for many reasons. And although I get pitched every week for sure, and sometimes every day for people who have clients who they think are a great fit for our show or people who want to be on the show. And I'm super honored to be able to say that. But although I get those requests a lot, I'm really, really, really selective. And I choose people that I have interacted with, even if it's only been online, and I get a good feeling about. I'm really protective of this community and this show and those who are listening, because I know your time is so valuable. And Elise is amazing. Elise is someone I really wanted on the show. And I love her heart for teens and for the moms of teens. If you haven't had kids yet, or if you haven't had teenagers yet, it's not horrible at all. You know, don't believe the stories. Some people will say, oh, wait, all our teenagers. And it is difficult. It's unpredictable. Even when it's great, there are issues and things that come up that you just aren't prepared for. And it's really hard because the kids need a voice. And it's hard for us many times to hear that voice or for them to feel comfortable sharing that voice. And Elise is an expert who helps the mom and the teen communicate with each other, with the whole family, and do their own healing with her. So Elise Knox is a life and wellness coach, a yoga teacher, a former middle school teacher who works with moms and teenagers exclusively. She's fascinated by brain development and the nervous system and believes that understanding these two things can make teen years so much easier for mamas and teens. Elise offers mom-centered and teen-centered coaching packages. Her mission is to bring enjoyment back into family relationships by helping her clients connect with themselves so that they can stay connected to their loved ones. As I said, she is certified by the best coaching institute in the world, which is highly focused on trauma, on somatic work, and there are over 20 modalities that she's certified in through that program beyond what she already had training and certification in before that. So you're going to really enjoy this. It will be helpful to you and your family. Please share it with anyone you know who has kids or has teens, especially if someone's struggling or they have a child who is struggling during those years. And I want to tell you too that I just found out that Elise is offering a special summit, a program online that actually starts in one week, one week from the release of this live episode. So Monday, March 27th, and it's specifically for the mothers of teenagers. So make sure you look at the show notes and find that link. It's at the very top of the show notes. Click on it and you can get a, get more information that way. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting. She's waiting. She's waiting for you to set her free. 
Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman, and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Hey, Elise, welcome to BU Podcast. Hi, Jill. I'm so happy to be here. Really happy to have you. I know you listen to the show. I know about your training. I know what you do. And it's a topic we have not explored yet. And I'm I'm genuinely very, very excited to explore this. Selfishly, it's like I'm getting some free coach, free coaching from you. But I, I know it's really going to be helpful to our listeners because we've not yet really gone here, gone here. So I know that that you are a mom. And I know that you, in your coaching practice, you specialize in moms of teens and teenagers. Okay. So you work with the child and the parents. And you can tell us more. I'm assuming also even some working with them together. So you've heard a lot and you've seen a lot. And gosh, if we had 25 hours, that would be amazing. In this amount of time that we have together, what would you say every person listening, whether they're a brand new parent or they one day think they might be a parent or they've already got, they already have kids, what would you like them to hear from someone who is in the trenches with a lot of kids and parents, both from the perspective of the kids you work with and from just what you know that you're hoping every person could take away from this call? We'll just, just, we'll start with that. And obviously we can just dive into that really, really deep. Yeah. So uh, for moms out there and dads, but we're focusing on moms, I would say the most important thing when becoming a parent or in the middle of parenting is being connected to yourself. So I really like to say you can only be as connected to others as you are to yourself. And we desire close relationships with our kids, but oftentimes we're not like, we're so busy doing life and doing kids activities and doing, doing, doing that we're not actually taking moments to connect with ourselves and to really understand Why is this behavior so triggering for me? Why is this event something that I'm really not looking forward to? So like that self-reflection piece in parenting, I think is key. Okay. So before we get to the kids, because I know you're trained in many different modalities, let's just start there. If someone's listening and they say, okay, what do you mean by that? Like, why is that? Why would that be important? Like, what do you mean being connected to myself? What, What would you say to them? Well, what happens in parenting is, and you will be very familiar with this, is we, if we don't A, choose to do things differently, we end up parenting just like we were parented. So maybe most of the listeners had amazing childhoods and parents that they just wouldn't change anything. And then that's great because that's what they're going to take into their life as a parent. But if if not, if there were things that didn't work for them without consciously choosing a different path, we will end up doing a lot of the same things that our parents did. 
And so it's really making a conscious effort to change. And when you are triggered and when you are out of your optimal zone of functioning, you will probably revert back to those old patterns. So that's one piece. Another piece that really comes up with teen parenting is if you had trauma or just hard things when you were a teen, whether that was with a boyfriend or a friend or Um, Maybe you experimented with drugs and alcohol. You're going to be looking for that in your own kids. Oh, okay. I feel like I've really thought about this topic a lot and I never, ever, ever have thought about that. So we're going to be looking for that in our kids just because we experienced it. Is it like a protective thing or is it also maybe even not a protective thing? I mean, I think a lot of it is protection. You're like, I experienced this. That is my child. I will protect them from this thing. I think usually when it's coming from a place of of parenting, it is like, I need to protect. Like, that's what we're doing all the time. How do I protect them from this thing? How do I protect them from that thing? And so for my own personal example, I like fell head over heels in love as a freshman in high school. I was convinced we were getting married He was a senior. It was all the things. And after six months, he just one day was like, bye. And so I know like that, that changed the whole trajectory of my life. That was like a huge, a huge thing for me. And so I know, and I have two daughters. So I know already if I don't take my time to heal that wound, which I've done a lot of, but I know I still need more. That first boyfriend that walks through the door I'm not going to be excited for them Mm. for all of the amazing things that came in that relationship before he spit in the dirt and walked away from me. I am going to be looking, looking, looking for like, when is he going to do, when is he going to break their heart? Mm -hmm. And is there a possibility that the other part of it could be, I don't know how to word this, not protective, certainly not coming from a bad place, but thinking something like, oh, I know what a bad kid I was. I guarantee you they're doing this shit there. And the kid isn't. And that was me as the parent to my stepson, for sure. I was, I mean, the reason that I'm in the space that I'm in is I was like a mess as a teenager. (laughs) And I did all of the things that you don't want your teenager to do. And so and he was doing some of those things, but I was like, I'm going to catch you. Like that was my like go, that was my come from. And that is not a place that you want to come from in parenting your teenager. Mm. What do they need? What do these teenagers need from us? Well, they really, you know, since I work with both teens and parents, what every teen says to me at some point in our relationship, often like every single session is, I just want my parents to listen to me. I don't want their advice. I don't want them to get mad at me for what I'm sharing with them because they say they want me to share. But if I'm honest, they start yelling at me. Or they do what I did, which was if I didn't yell, I would tuck it away in my back pocket and I'd bring it up later. And I would say I wasn't going to. It's not like it was a conscious decision. I'm I'm not going to judge you. You can tell me, you can tell me. And then even three, six months down the line, well, I remember you telling me that you were drinking with your friends and they're like, see, this is why I don't tell you anything. And I'm sure other parents do that. But I can imagine as a child, that's 
really difficult. See, some of my questions for you, it's interesting as I'm asking them, Elise, because I was just invisible to my parents. And my parents were so not involved in my life that as I'm asking the questions to you, it's interesting how I'm feeling. Because I'm like, it's like I'm talking about an, an alien species because I don't, I never had anyone express any interest in me as a teenager, any interest in my life whatsoever. 100% was raising myself. They were completely checked out. And so I had no roadmap when it came to parenting. I had no idea what to do or not do. So my questions may seem a little strange sometimes, but I truly don't know how other people parent or how kids might might feel about this. So my next question is, when you're working with these kids, if you do have a kid who has, if they're working with you, the parents are involved. Let's just say that. Like if they've hired you, they are highly involved. They might be messing up like the rest of us every day, but they're highly involved. They care and love their kids, care for their kids and love their kids so much. Do you find that most of the kids actually realize that the parents love them, but are the parents sometimes feeling like they don't appreciate me? They don't realize how much I love them. Is that a scenario? Because I could see that playing out. For sure. Yeah, I think you know, kids, teenagers don't get enough credit. I think the teenagers that I work with, and I, I do, you know, obviously I work with a population that can, that parents are involved and engaged and see an, an issue and want to support their kids. So I, I, that is the population that I work with. But these, these teenagers these days are so more evolved, I think, than, than I was as a teenager and thinking about bigger things and really like conscious in a way that I don't remember myself being. And maybe Mm -hmm. that was just me, but I think it may have something to do with the age that we're living in. And so they are very aware. And, and I think that's like, we have to look at where they're at brain developmentally in that they are aware and in the heat of the moment, they're going to do things and say things that are hurtful and that make the parent feel like, they don't appreciate me at all. They don't love me at all. All of those things. And I mean, most of my teens, when we get through like the like the first 15 minutes of them just dumping because they're so frustrated, they're like, yeah, I know she loves me, but I don't tell her anything anymore. That's like the thing I hear the most. So I just don't tell them anything. Mm-hmm. And I like, because I also am in relation with parents because of the way that I coach. It's never just the teen. Uh, I'm constantly in contact with the parent. I know how hurtful that is to them and how that is so not what they desire. Mm -hmm. And which is why I also coach moms. I don't always like I always bring the family in when I'm coaching teens so that like we're in communication, but I don't always coach the mom of the teen. And sometimes I just coach parents of teens. And so it's like helping the mom to work through her own stuff so that she can show up to her teen in a way that they can connect and relate to one another. And because I have the perspective of the teen, not their teen, but many teens, and the perspective of the mom, I think it can be supportive to have that like, conversation not like well they're thinking this and you're doing this but just like what about this possibility 
It's so interesting you said that because I was going to ask you because I know what you're trained in, how you're trained. And I'm saying that because there are a lot of coaches and coaches and therapists out there who aren't trained in somatics. They, They aren't trained in many of those modalities. So I was going to ask you, is it kind of like coaching a couple where like when we hired Steph to be our coach, it turned out to be individual coaching for each of us. And I'm assuming that what you're saying is you're working with this parent, let's say, and they think the kid is the issue and you help them see that it's their own healing. It's their own little girl. It's their own stories, their own trauma that really needs the attention. Then they will show up very differently as a parent and the kid will receive them totally differently. Like if I had known this when my kids were younger, oh my gosh, Elise, like it's like I'm finally at the last song of the dance. You know, my last kid is a senior. And I'm like, I think I got it. Shit. <laughs> they're all out of the house. <laughs> so I have moms call and they're like, my daughter needs coaching. And I have the call with the parent. And then I set up a call with the daughter. And I'm like, yes, like this team could use some support. And you really could use some support too. <laughs> You know, like, I think that there's so much of, like, the projection, like we talked about earlier, of our own childhood, of the way that we were parented, the way that we think it should look. I think another big thing in parenting teens, unlike parenting little, little kids, is that it's very isolating. Like, when your kids are, you go and talk about potty training and sleeps and, and all the things, and it's okay, everybody's sharing everything, and it's all okay teenagers it's like oh i i can't share this personal thing that my kid told me i don't want to share this thing that makes me feel like a bad mom and so you just kind of live in your little bubble and the truth is almost all parents of teens are experiencing similar things and on top of that most parents are pretending their kid is perfect though that's the thing that i can't stand it's like if you do open up, which you know I tend to be an open book, I'm probably an overshare. If you do open up, some of them just look at you and, oh, wow, really? And you're like, come on, Judy, give me something. You know, you've got something, you know? And it's, yes, so it's very much everything is perfect, everything, nothing is happening. You do feel isolated. And on top of that, as you said, you're, you're afraid because if you do share something, that kid, they're going to say it to their kid. Their kid's going to turn around and go to school the next day and say something. I actually had something like that happen once where my kid was completely humiliated because a mother said something to the child. And it, this wasn't like, you know, second grade. This was middle school. And it was super embarrassing. But yeah, you're right. It is very isolating. It's isolating for the child. It's isolating for the parents. And then, you know, I found too that the teenage years are so interesting because I understand that it's healthy developmentally for them to pull away from the parent and go towards their peer group. I know a lot of parents take that very personally, but that's very healthy. Uh, but I found that very triggering to me because I know now that I know what I know, I didn't know then it was triggering all of my wounds and all of my stuff. I was feeling abandoned. I was feeling like I was getting it wrong. I was feeling like they were holding back because of the kind of parent I was. And then on the flip side, there were times, Elise, where I was just so caught up in life and in my own stuff or my stuff of one of the kids that I had a kid, one of my kids told me recently that when they were living here, 
They were in the basement just crying every single night. And I had no idea, literally had no clue. And they were like, uh, yeah, my life was miserable for about a year. And I cried every single night, but you didn't even notice. And I'm, I'm like, oh my God, I never even went down there and knocked on the door. So then we've got the parent guilt, which blinds us too. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's so hard because the parenting teen years is such a like tightrope of letting go of a lot, but also being engaged enough to catch when, you know, somebody's crying in the basement or whatever it is, but they don't want to ask for help because they want to be independent and get through it on their own. And so really like staying connected to our kids in ways, our teens, especially in ways that are not, I think something that happens often is we often when kids grow up into teen years, it's like everything is a, have you done this? Have you, have you gotten this done? Like, can you pick up your clothes? Can you clean up the kitchen? And so there's all this correcting and managing and not much connecting. And so then the teen is like, every time my mom comes to talk to me, it's something, you know, like it's, I didn't do this right, or I didn't do that right. And so that's something that I hear over and over. And so finding ways that you can connect with them that are not like no strings attached. So like, maybe it's sitting and watching their favorite show with them. Maybe it's not your favorite show, but you can laugh at the jokes and you can just be there with them and you don't have to talk about anything. And it's just those moments of being together and connected. Because I think like what we really want in teen years is to be the person that they come to when they're feeling sad or when they've been hurt or when something is going wrong. And that doesn't happen through like deep conversations every week that happens from them just knowing like, okay, mom's got my back. Mm. Mom's got my back. She lets me experience life a little bit. And I know that if I'm in an emergency or if I'm really sad, I can go to her and she will be there. You know, when you just talked about us coming to the kid and just constantly correcting, and I don't know the word you used, correcting and managing. Like directing, yeah, managing, directing, yeah. managing. I didn't even know I was doing that. And I try to not use my kids' names on here because I have a lot of listeners that like know my kids, but this one I can. So my youngest, George, who's a senior in high school, he said to me, and you know, sometimes they talk to you and you're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. He said, mom, the only time you talk to me, the only time you call me is to check, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I do this? Did I do that? Or to tell me that I didn't do this and I didn't do that. He's like, this is why I don't even want to answer the phone or this is why I don't want to come home. And I was like, well, I do say those things, but to me, it was me coming from what I thought was love, like sort of having his back. Did you remember to do these things? You know, keeping him accountable and also I, I was trying to check them off my list, but there was no balance. On the other side, I wasn't just checking in saying, hey, so how was your day? Like I wasn't doing any of that. So now I consciously say things like, um, like he's really into soccer. So the World Cup is going on. I might ask him about the World Cup or I might ask him about how his football team did. And I notice that I need to do less of the correction 
because he's more likely to do it. And he's also more receptive if I do do the correction because I've put those deposits in the other account. Again, yes. I'm literally figuring this out uh, right before <laughs> he leaves the house. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because you know about attachment and the attachment is one of the... Why don't you Why don't you explain that? So attachment is one of the things that is like, it's pretty much, in my opinion, it's like the most important thing in parenting. And so it starts when with your baby. And what's very interesting about what we're talking about is that a baby has, I think in the ratio is like 80% of just like, ooh, ooh, connection, connection, attachment, attachment, no correcting, right? Because they're like tiny little humans that are so cute. And then when they turn into toddlers, it switches real quick, like goes from 80 connection, 20 correction to 20 connection, 80 correction, like pretty fast. And then that kind of just, if, if you're not super intentional, that kind of just follows along through life and sometimes more and sometimes less depending on the child. And so one of the things that like keeps a child and adolescent connected to the parent is a strong attachment that starts at infanthood. And they may be like more interested in hanging out with their peers, but they always have a a truly attached, connected to their parent child will always know that that is like the safe attachment. And they will always like, that will be their fallback when a child is overly attached to a peer group it's really kind of scary because the peer group doesn't forever have your back no matter what. Like the peer group can turn on a dime. And so that's why like these little points of connection like we were talking about are so important to continue even when your child is like wanting to be with their friends all the time. That's okay because that's part of adolescence. And it's really important to have those little moments And to keep tabs on, okay, they're hanging out with their friends all the time. That's great. But when this really kind of hard thing happened, what did they do? They came to me. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend for like one thing I really wish I would have done and I could just start this weekend, but looking back again, one thing I wish I would have done when my older kids were teenagers is I wish I would have had something for them to count on every week, like Sunday dinner. Are there things like that that you recommend? for parents so that the kid, they may be out with their friends and they have a job and they're in travel soccer, but you know, and they know they can count on every Sunday being at your house for whatever the tradition is or the ritual. Do you have some other things like that that you recommend? Yeah, it's so interesting. I have a mom who they are, she has two boys and they're teenagers and they're super busy and night times just don't work for them. And so they have like a morning breakfast meeting and they do like dinners are quick and easy, but breakfast is like a big deal. And they have like their meeting in the morning. And so I think it really, because even teenagers, you know, we say like toddlers and little kids, they need structure. It doesn't change when they're teenagers and it doesn't change when we're adults either. And so building in these traditions and and make it fun, like make it enjoyable. So it's not like, oh, I have to do Sunday dinner. It's like, oh, this is the time where like we connect as a family. And so that means don't have all your hard conversations at Sunday dinner. Yeah. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like have Sunday dinner be a place where you're just 
listening and connecting and laughing and being with each other and enjoying each other's company. And maybe, you know, if they want to invite a friend sometime, that's okay, but not all the time. So that they're really like, it's this, it's this family connection time and that hard conversations can happen at another time. Mm-hmm. That's such a good idea. So when you're working with the parents, right? So you're saying with these kids, the number one request is, or, or maybe complaint to you is, I just wish my parents would listen to me. I want to be heard. With the parents, how about instead of talking about what the biggest struggle is, because I think we all can guess what those are, what do you feel like is the biggest root cause in the way they're showing up, if you look at it and you go, okay, they could they could use some help here. Like what is the root cause for many moms, let's say, when it comes to them wanting to control their teenager? Like where do you see that coming from for most moms? Or maybe it's all moms. I think it comes from healing their own inner child, a lot of it. I think that so much of the time, healing their own inner child and then being so dysregulated Partly because of their teen, but partly maybe because of their lifestyle or what else is going on in their life. And they don't have a practice where they're connecting themselves and and processing some of the stuff. And then it's just as as you know, because you've raised four, five teens now, like things are just it's like a minefield sometimes. It's whack like, oh, I gotta go to this. <laughs> it's like you're like, how do I get through? So what is that doing to your nervous system? Just life is already dysregulating you. And, you know, and you like we all know about the nervous system that if you if your zone of optimal functioning is tiny, tiny, which means like anything sets you off and makes you and sets you into fight or flight, then the game of whack-a-mole is going to be a constant like popping out of your zone all, all day long, every day. And when you're in that heightened state. You're not calm. You're not in learning brain. You're not an open listening brain. You're in like fix problem, fix problem, fix problem, move on to the next thing. Black and white, no gray area. And I think there's like nothing more gray than parenting a teen. Oh, for sure. But okay, so let's go back and explain because I, I people who listen regularly, they get what you're saying, but it's still worth repeating. But But if I were listening for the first time, I would say, okay, hold on a minute. I have a question. What do you mean dysregulated? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by nervous system? Like maybe just go back to a little quick explanation of that. Yeah. So we have this nervous system in our body that is constantly like taking information and processing it. And when we are in a state where I mean, if like, if you're having a really bad day, the easiest way for me to explain this is when you're having a really bad day or a hard day, or you're tired or hungry, you're the zone that you're functioning in is pretty small. So small things can set you off and send you into like kind of overwhelm feeling. Whereas on a day that you like got a great night of sleep, had a healthy breakfast, had a great morning with your kids, having a mellow day at work. The exact same things can happen. And you're like, oh, like, let me just make that quick phone call and fix that problem and move on to the next thing. And so you really have to think about as a parent, like, how do I make that zone of optimal functioning, that like zone that I'm living in, that my nervous system is functioning in, 
how do I make it a little more calm and a little more like stretched out so that when the game of whack-a-mole begins, I'm like, oh, whack that one, whack that one. I'm still doing okay. Let me check in with myself. Okay, I'm still all right and continue on with your day. Okay. And so now can you help them understand the connection between that and their their dysregulation and how their nervous system might be in fight or flight if it has nothing to do with the kind of day they had? Like you've got me as a client, I'm a mom, and I'm like, oh my gosh, my kid, they've got some major issues. You need to help them. I'm fine. <laughs> and then in 10 minutes of a conversation with me, you realize I don't know what it means to be in my body. I've never done even like any kind of, even one deep belly breath. I don't know what that means. I'm constantly go, 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 go. Yeah, I didn't have the best childhood, but I never really dealt with it. Like, I know this is obvious to you what I'm saying, but I know this is going to be helpful to to some people listening that how does that come into play then even if my kid isn't quote unquote misbehaving, even if we're not having whack-a-mole, we're just having regular life. How does that, how would you describe like the nervous system and the window of tolerance for that? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah. So basically, you're always outside of your window of tolerance. If if you've never taken the time to be like, to check in, okay, how am I feeling right now? If you had a childhood that was very dysregulated, but you haven't taken the time or gotten the support to look at it, because I do think like if you're going into a, if you're wanting to work on a really hard childhood so that you can be a better parent. That's not something that you can just journal your way through on your own. I think it is something that you need support with. And so, but then you're just, you're always kind of in a a low level, sometimes a higher level of fight or flight. And the only way to widen the window is to like, like you said, have some sort of a practice where you're connecting to yourself. So whether that's breathing slowing down, checking in with your body, like hand on heart, hand on belly. What am I feeling right now? Feelings are all things that are happening like inside of our body. They're not things that other people are doing to us. And it can be really hard to, if if you're not familiar with figuring out how you're feeling, it can be really challenging. And so um, something that I like to do with my clients is just have a list of feelings so that they can like, if if I have a client who's not done this much before, and they're just kind of always in that like overwhelmed state, we will start a session by slowing down mm. and breathing. Because what often happens is clients will come into the session just like, yeah. And so it's it's really like modeling for them and slowing down and explaining. And almost every single person after a few five deep breaths, even if that's all we're doing, will be like, wow, I feel so different right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm so glad we broke that down. I mean, that that really is something that you and I kind of take for granted, I think. And it's so normal to us. But but so many, I'd say the vast majority of mothers out there are like, hold on a second. Because for them, and I was, no judgment, because that was me literally two years ago. It wasn't until I was 49, I figured that out, after years of talk therapy, by the way. Mm. I think what many of us are doing is our way of, quote unquote, calming down and centering ourselves is crashing in front of Netflix and scrolling our phone 
or numbing with a glass of wine, right? And, and, and that's our me time. We don't know any better. And now you've got someone like you come in going, guess what? That's fun. You get to do that, but that's actually just keeping you in the same loop. And if you'd pause and do that little exercise of hand on heart, hand on belly, doing some breathing, figuring out how you feel, just being with yourself, which I know this is the corny stuff. This is the stuff that sounds so woo and so weird to people. But what I've learned that you've known a lot longer than me, I think, but what I've learned is that if I had known that, Elise, I mean, five years ago, let alone 25 years ago when I started having kids, no matter what was going on in my life, my children would have had a completely different upbringing if all I knew was what you just said. But no one talks about it. Nobody talks about it. Doctors don't talk about it. OBGYNs never talk about it. Therapists don't talk about it. So for someone listening, just know that you just doing that one exercise is going to help you regulate and do what Elise said, take that window of tolerance, that that make that window bigger so you can not just handle more of the shit that's going to come at you with teenagers, but also enjoy more. Because there are a lot of joyful moments with teenagers that personally I missed because I was so stressed out, Elise. I was so stressed out by my own guilt that I was getting it wrong, stressed out, so stressed out by one kid or another, or the kids were doing great, but I was letting things in life get to me, perfectionism, insecurities, whatever it is, drama with outside family members, and I was missing a lot of the joy. And I don't know, I guess the way I describe it is my basket wasn't big enough to hold that either because I was holding the stress. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, it's, it's funny because breath is coming a little bit into mainstream, but it's like in a triggering moment, take a deep breath. And that is not enough to like the thing about these regulating like tools and techniques is that they really need to be done in the heat of the moment is great. But like having a practice a few times a day, ideally where like, okay, how, how am I doing right now? Whether you, I love to journal because I think it really helps me get all of the, you know, crazy that's in my head out onto paper. And then I can look back and see like how I'm doing or if things have changed. Um, Having some like parts of your day and it's really great if they can be like first thing in the morning or last thing at night so that you're consistent with them. And then just moments throughout the day where you're like, I'm feeling like a lot right now. Let me just take two minutes and take a few deep breaths and check in with myself. Only doing it in the stressed out moments is going to be a little bit helpful, but not, it's not going to widen like permanently or for a longer period of time, widen your zone of functioning. Right. It's like trying to lose 10 pounds before spring break. Yeah. Which was always, (laughs) I was that person like, oh crap, I got to be in bathing suit in exactly 32 days. Let me eat an apple. (laughs) Let me start exercising. Yes. Yeah, that's really helpful. Okay, so in looking at the conversations, you've had many, many, many conversations with these teens besides them wanting to be heard. Mm-hmm. What is one of their secret struggles that most parents have no idea they are dealing with? Either they don't feel comfortable sharing with their parents, they're afraid to share with their parents, or it's worse than the parents realize. What is this common secret struggle of teenagers I think there's there's a few that are coming to mind. One of them is like loneliness. So I think it's interesting. I think 
especially with girls, I mostly work with teenage girls and feeling strong connections with friends that they feel really stable in is like not super normal for teenage girls. And it's, it's kind of heartbreaking. Wow. I have had multiple teenage girls tell me they would rather share with their boyfriends, even though they know they don't really get it and they don't really have the right things to say back. They know it won't be drama. Wow. And so that is something that comes up again and again. And I know from my own personal experience of being a teenage girl, like there was so much drama in the friends scene. And I think that's one of the reasons that I was so attached to this senior boy is it was so easy. Yeah. And drama free for those six months that I completely ditched my friends and hung out with him. Mm -hmm. And listening to all these girls kind of tell me similar stories. And then the ones who don't have boyfriends, just like the ups and downs of female teenage girl friendships, they're really hard. And let's focus on girls for a minute then. You get this beautiful view, this inside view of these relationships. And so whether the child has said it to you or not, what would you say to us about the impact it's having on our teenage girls, the way we treat our bodies, the way we talk about our bodies, the way we look at our bodies? Have they ever confided in you? Have any of these girls said to you, you know, one, I I have a disordered eating pattern or I feel like I'm fat or my mom thinks I'm fat or my mom makes comments. I, I just have a feeling that that's something that comes up. Yeah, all of the above. Um, So I've definitely had girls who, maybe not their moms, but other family members have commented on their bodies. And it starts so young. Like, you know, I'm working with them when they're 14, but they will tell me that like people started commenting on their bodies in fourth grade and that it has been affecting them ever since. And they don't know, you know, a lot of them want to eat healthy, but they don't really know how to eat healthy. And so there's so much going on in the body image food space for teen girls. It could be a whole podcast. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I just really work with them on, unless they're it's very disordered, and then, you know, that's seeing an outside person to support them with that, which some of my clients I've seen in tandem where they have somebody that they're seeing for their like a doctor to support them with some of their eating stuff. And then they're seeing me for more of the emotional support, but around the same issue, complete body dysmorphia. They're not seeing what's actually in the mirror. One day they wake up and they're like, Oh, I'm beautiful. The next day they wake up and they're like, I'm so fat. I can't leave the house. Nothing has changed. Mom has no idea. They feel this way normally. Yes. Oftentimes mom doesn't know. Sometimes mom does know. So like one client that I'm thinking in particular who's seeing a doctor, her mom does know because it's it was a big issue. And so they needed support. I've had clients tell me that their dads made comments on their bodies. I think most of my clients, their moms are supportive, mm-hmm. as supportive as they can be with like the traditions and the upbringing that they had. Because that's a whole nother thing. Like I talked to some of my teen clients about being pattern breakers in Mm. their family's culture where it's been okay for years for like aunts and uncles and grandpas to say, to make comments on what they're eating and what their body looks like and that how terrible it feels and that they get to be the one to not do that to their daughters and their nieces and nephews, you know, to empower them to be like, yeah, 
I'm experiencing this. I can say, I want you to stop. It doesn't feel good. And what I can also do is never do this to anybody else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And maybe the answer is no, but do you ever see with your clients that these young women are sharing with you that they see more than their mom thinks they see about the mom's behavior? Oh, for sure. That's what I mean. Like they're so, they're so in touch. They're so aware of what's going on for their mom and their mom's own issues with like their food and their bodies. And, and then their mom is trying to talk to them. Yes. Like I like, I feel like with teens, I'm like, they're so smart, you know, and we think that they, that we've got them fooled, but we don't. Yeah. That's one of my biggest, I I know we shouldn't regret anything and we shouldn't say it's a mistake, but I'm just going to use the words. One of my biggest mistakes as a parent, I have many, but is it's like not paying attention to their wisdom and not realizing what you just said, that they see a lot more than we think. Because they're sitting on their phone scrolling TikTok, you think that they don't know what's going on. They know exactly what's going on. They know what's going on in your marriage. They know what's going on in you. They know what's going on with your friends. They're paying attention. And the other thing is they can feel it. I mean, I remember one of my kids, she was always just like the obedient one, which I've learned recently, you have to be really careful. The one that's the obedient one is the one that really needs the most like love and attention because they're being obedient from a wound. Like, oh, you're so good. I'm so glad you say yes all the time. And, and, you know, gosh, we could talk about that for hours. Um, Well, let's just say it that for a minute. So for our listeners, if you're bragging about how your kid is so well behaved and so obedient, red flag, major red flag. So, but my daughter said to me, Elise, she basically called me out uh, about how I was. And I had no idea that I was like that. And I had no idea that she would have seen it. And then we had this long conversation and she knew a lot more about me than I realized. And one thing she said to me was she had expressed interest in being on the golf team. She had never golfed before. She had natural ability when she was like five, like to the point where we went to the some, I don't know, some golf camp for uh, my older daughter. And the younger one came along because she just wanted to. And she was like four. And the guy's like, yeah, she's too young. And I was like, hey, I'm just going to run like to Kmart right here. Can you just like, can she just like stand there? And he's like, fine. I came back and he was like, you didn't tell me you're raising another Tiger Woods. And I said, what are you talking about? And he's like, uh, she can hit the ball. And I was like, really? And I, and, and, and we have this funny story where, and she's like, it's easy. And she was just this perfect swing. She never did it again because her, one of the reasons was her older sister was kind of embarrassed by that and made fun of her for it. So she never picked up a golf club again. So fast forward to like age 16 or 17, I think I might go out for the golf team. I'm like, well, let's go. So I used my personality and how I would handle things. And I'm this type A overachieving perfectionist. That's not who my daughter is. But I was truly coming from a place of what I thought was love. (laughs) It was a major wound. But I, I didn't want her to not make it. And two, I can't imagine, at least, I would, couldn't imagine the feeling of not putting, giving 150% for something. That's not how she operates. So I was like, let's go. I ruined it for her. I was like, Julia, if you want this, you really need to go for this. Like, like, let's go. It's 10 o'clock. Let's go do lessons. And I would go with her to the driving range. And then we went on, you know, it's like 90 degrees and we're out of the golf course. And I'm, I'm on the car. You got it. You got it. And she's just miserable. I stole all the joy from her for it. She finally let go. And it was a beautiful moment because she finally used her voice. She had been the perfect child who was always obedient, never raised her voice, perfect teenager. And she's just started crying and screamed at me in the kitchen. And she's like, mom, 
I'm not like you. I don't care that much if you would have asked me. All I said was I might want to go out for the golf team. I didn't say I'm trying out for the Olympics and I didn't say I'm going to die if I don't make it. You're the one who would die if you wouldn't make it. And then she kind of ripped me apart, but she was right, Ali. She called me out. She was like, you're the one who has to do everything perfectly. You're the one who cares so much what people think. You're the one that she starts like, and then she goes, she had been listening when I used to be in multi-level marketing and I would go into these coaching things like Zooms. She was listening. I didn't know it all these years. She goes, remember when you used to tell your team, I can't want it for you more than you want it for yourself. She's like, why don't you take your own medicine? You want this more for me than I want it for myself. I literally don't care. And now I'm not trying out. And guess what? I also don't care if I get C's. No, it drives you crazy, but I literally don't care. It's not because I'm not smart. I don't care if I get anything more than a C. And she just let it all out. And I, I'm telling you that was the best record scratch for me as a parent in the world, it was the best gift. So yes, they are paying attention to every little thing. They see us more than we realize it. And I really wish, I really wish I would have realized that before that happened. I resonate with that so much. I have a daughter who's very gifted at singing. And I know there are times that I, I want it more for her than she wants it. And that like desire to push. And I like was always a competitive sports player. And like I can feel the energy in myself coming up. And I'm like, whoa, I have to like go remove myself from the situation and really check in with myself a lot. I'm so grateful that I have the knowledge and the understanding and the practices that I have, or I feel like at nine, I may have already ruined it for her because (laughs) of that, you know? And I will say that with all of that, how we repair as parents, and this is something you can start at zero. I do this with my girls and they're younger is so important. The repair is stronger than the rupture. You're going to make mistakes all the time. There's no such thing as perfect in life and definitely not in parenting. And the more that we can model calling ourselves out and and even explaining, like I love explaining to my kids why I like kind of freaked out over something. I really struggled with reading and my daughter loves to read. And so I'm just, it's kind of the same thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, this is so great. And struggling with reading makes school hard for you for a long time. So it's like this great thing. And so she didn't want to read over the summer for like a week. She wanted to look at her yearbook, which she'd just gotten. I remember how awesome yearbooks used to be. But I was like, no, you have to read, you know? And I got a little bit short. It wasn't a big deal. But when I reflected on it, I was like, this is my own shit. This has nothing to do with her. Yeah, good for you. And so I talked to her about that. Like my struggles with reading and how that makes me a little more sensitive that I, I overreacted, you know? And so, and then that allows your kids to know that you make mistakes and to know that when you make mistakes, what you do is you repair, you apologize, you connect with that person. And it may, it actually makes your relationship much stronger. Mm, I love that. The repair is bigger than the rupture. It's stronger. Stronger. The repair is stronger than the rupture. That's good. Yeah. That should be the name of your book. the repair is stronger than the rupture that's good i mean parents our parents they did not apologize they did not mess up and then come and say like hey i'm so sorry i did that because x y and z you're right (laughs) dear lord they wouldn't do it once let alone for your whole childhood you're right that generation there was no repair it was just rupture 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 (laughs) so that that's your model. So you're like, I messed up really bad. I'm just going to like pretend it didn't happen or secretly shame myself, shame myself. 
blame it on somebody else. And when you can say like, take ownership with your kids, they see that that's how, that's how people go through life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This has been so great. I appreciate you so much. And I know this was helpful to everybody. So if they'd like to learn more from you on any of these topics, how would you suggest they do that? Yeah. So I am on Instagram at Elise Knox Connection Coach. And I have a seven-day connection guide that is at elisenox.com slash connection, which just gives you daily tips and ideas to connect with your teen with no strings attached. So it's all about just building that like strong attachment even through the teen years. And yeah, it's really helpful for parents who are like feeling like they're just constantly correcting and not connecting. Oh, this is great. I just found you on here. I didn't realize you were called Connection Coach. Oh, this is so good. You've got a lot of great reels here. This is awesome. You guys check her out. These Even these little reels would be super helpful. You're not alone on this journey. It's never too late. And remember, the repair is stronger than the rupture. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Elise. Thank you, Jill. 